One of our listeners asked me a really good question yesterday, kind of a broad question, but basically with all the changes in college football right now, do you feel like it works towards TCU's advantage or disadvantage? We'll talk about that next on Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Wednesday morning, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. We're free and available wherever it is you get your podcast. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. TCU Basketball dropped a close game to Cincinnati last night in overtime. And I'll tell you, for me, the, the hard part about that, it wasn't so much that they lost to Cincinnati on the road. It was the way they lost it. So many missed opportunities down the stretch. So we're going to talk about that later in the show. Final score is 81-77. But I want to start today with a really good question for one of our listeners. You can always comment on the YouTube channel. You can also find me at SimcockSteven on Twitter or X or whatever it is called now. Uh, at LockedOnTCU is where you can find the show on Twitter, uh, formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Or you can always chime in on YouTube, email me, whatever, you know, carrier pigeon, however you want to communicate with me. But Jim Norris asked this question yesterday. Do you think that all these changes in college football will result in TCU's advantage or disadvantage? Now, that's a pretty broad question. There's a lot of different ways you could go with it. So I'm going to go in a couple different directions. And, Jim, I hope this somewhat answers your question. If it doesn't, my apologies, and you can clarify, and and we'll go back and forth a little bit. But there's a ton of changes happening in college football right now. So I'll kind of go one by one. From a transfer portal perspective, I think TCU's in a good place. I feel like they have a very good pitch for players that are in the portal. It seems like Sonny Dykes has kind of attacked this with two philosophies in mind. The first one is the strategy they've used this year, which is they've gone and gotten players that have played a lot of snaps at lower levels, group of five, FCS, in some cases power five too. I mean, you went and got Bless Harris from Florida State. The tackle, you got Remington Strickland, the offensive lineman from Texas A&M, Caleb Alarms Orr, who was a great player at Cal last year. But a lot of the guys they brought in, Eric McAllister was really productive at Boise State, went and got a couple offensive linemen for the group of five level, like Cade Bennett and Carson Bruno, Cade Bennett from San Diego State, Carson Bruno from Louisiana Tech. Players that have a lot of experience, that have played a lot of snaps, that understand what it takes to be effective in college football. They have also gone after guys that have DFW ties, both this year and just in general. It seems like they have a pretty good strategy of, okay, let's identify who is originally from this area and whether they went to a group of five school and they're playing well, or maybe they went to a power five school and it didn't work out for whatever reason. Let's bring them back home. And the pitch is, hey, come back home, get closer to family, closer to friends. They can come see you play. And there will be an opportunity for you to make an impact. Now, last year's portal class, you did have some players who performed really well. I mean, J.P. Richardson was their best and most consistent wide receiver throughout the year. Willis Patrick was a starter all year long. Avery Helm was at, at guard. Avery Helm was a starter all year long at corner. You also had some guys that you took some chances on that because of injuries and other inconsistencies, just didn't see the field a whole lot. It wasn't really – Dalen Wright wasn't as active as we thought he could be coming from Minnesota. 
was banged up and in and out of the lineup. Jalen Richards or uh, Jalen Robinson, same sort of thing. Injuries kept him out of the lineup at times. And then you had, um, you know, JoJo Earl wasn't as effective as we thought he could be, but there's still some time there. Tommy Brockermeyer dealt with an injury, and so he wasn't there really the entire season. So I think they had some success with the portal last year, but you also you didn't have a, a super high batting average. You, you swung and missed on a few. And a couple of years ago, part of what made that team so great was that pretty much everybody they brought in was a contributor. Jared Wiley was an immediate contributor. Mark Perry, Johnny Hodges were immediate contributors. You know, we can go down the list of guys that they found and identified as, as talented players that they brought into the portal and that were really good for them. So I think TCU is in a good place in the portal. And Tommy Fisher brought this up yesterday. I mean, they're really turning over this roster again. And he was talking about guys coming into the portal. He said, I think the two linebackers are going to get a lot of playing time and both might be starters. I believe he's talking about Cooper McDonald from San Diego State and then Caleb Alarmzor from Cal. He said he thinks two of the three, two or three of the DBs will be starters. Two of the edge guys will get a lot of playing time. Maybe one of them will be a starter. He could see on offense uh, two or three starters from that group, especially on the offensive line. McAllister is going to start or something went wrong. McAllister, the wide receiver from Boise State. Gonna have a lot of depth on the outside and inside wide receiver positions. And it's a strong haul if you think about it. And it is. I like what they've done in the portal. And honestly, it's crazy. I mean, you have more roster turnover now in college football in some cases than you do in the NFL. Because at least in the NFL, you draft guys. The guys you draft that perform well, you have an opportunity to assign them to a contract after their rookie deal is up. If somebody's playing well for you, you have the opportunity to say, hey, let's – Let's get an extension done to make sure that you're here for a while. The biggest issue right now in college football is there's so much autonomy. There's so much freedom of movement that there's just no ability to keep guys in one place for an extended period of time unless they want to be there. Or, you know, I guess NIL, you have that opportunity to renegotiate to a certain extent, but it's not public. So it's hard for us as fans, as media people to kind of decipher what that looks like and what that means. So there's a crazy amount of turnover. But if we're talking about changes in college football and where TCU stands, I think the portal is a very good opportunity for them to supplement some of the things they're going to miss out on in high school classes. It still feels like they're going to struggle to crack the top 20, top 25 in high school recruiting each year. So you try to fill out those roster holes with the portal, and they've been doing a good job of that. Now, changes in college football, as we continue to talk kind of big picture, conference realignment, those types of things, I think TCU's behind the eight ball in a couple of regards. The first is we're now moving to a 12-team playoff. And the funny thing about the playoff is for years we had the BCS and everybody hated it because there were only two teams that made the championship game. It was a very convoluted system. And it felt like there were many years where a team that could have won the national title gets left out. And I know TCU fans would say that Rose Bowl team, I think they definitely could have beaten Oregon. Auburn would have been tough because Cam Newton was just such a dynamic player. But that was an outstanding football team. They beat Wisconsin on a neutral field. I think they could have won a national title if they got selected in a BCS championship game situation, right? Uh, I feel like that 2014 team – could have won two games and won a national title in the playoff in the four-team playoff. But in the BCS era, you only had to win one game. So while it was really hard for teams that were kind of outside the traditional power brokers 
to break in and get an opportunity, there was always that chance of, hey, one game on a neutral field, just one night where you're playing well, the other team's not, some things go your way, you get a victory, and suddenly you get to hold that crystal ball. Even in the four-team playoff, I think along with a lot of the other issues you saw with that team that played Georgia a couple of years back, they beat Michigan in what was a crazy game. They won that game. They let it start to finish. And then it was like, all right, now we got to turn around and play an even better Georgia team. And you saw the depth of talent show up in a big way in that second game where it was like, man, you played so well against Michigan. Now you have to answer the call again. Can that team do that? And obviously that TCU team couldn't. And we talk about a 12-team playoff. You know, potentially if you're not a team that gets a bye week, can you go on the road and win your opening game? And then can you win three more? Can you win four games to win a national title after playing 12 or 13 games during the regular season, 12 games in the conference title game? That's going to be tough, man. That's going to be difficult to do. That's a real uphill battle for teams that recruit like TCU does and that's kind of outside the blue blood structure. That just seems like a really hard ask to win four games. I mean, we're talking about a 17-game season. We're talking about college football going to an NFL regular season type of structure where your your depth and your roster construction are really going to be challenged in a way that we've never seen before. So while there is now more access to the playoff, because if you win a Big 12 title, you get in the playoff, or you could be an at-large team that makes it, I think winning a national championship is going to be harder now for teams like TCU that it doesn't appear are going to be able to hold up in the talent composite with schools in the SEC and the Big Ten on a year-to-year basis. Now, of course, the hope is you find a team at the top of their development cycle that's really talented and that is playing great football and then go on a run. But you're, you're going to want a first-round bye because I just think it's going to be tough to win four games in a row against some of the best teams in college football. From an NIL standpoint, I think TCU's in a pretty good position. I don't feel like they're shelling out the type of money that Alabama and Ohio State and Old Miss are. But I don't – I mean, there's a lot of hand-wringing about NIL, and I think a lot of it just stems from the fact we don't know a lot about it. But TCU has been able to bring in talented players the last few years, and you don't do that unless you have some semblance of cash and some ability to convince guys that, hey, we're keeping up with the market. So I think TCU is in a decent position there. The The challenge is going to be with the TV money and with all the changes that are happening now, can you keep up with the big two, which is going to be the SEC and the Big Ten? They're going to have the most resources. They're probably going to be recruiting at the highest level, at least in the high school ranks. And I don't know what the future holds for TCU and the Big 12 in that regard. I think the Big 12 is in a great position from a stability standpoint and that everybody seems to be, you know, rowing the boat the same way and on the same page. And they, you know, they want to move this thing in a positive direction, but is it going to be easier to compete for a national championship? I think in a weird way, it's going to be tougher than it was in different eras of college football. When, if you had a really good team, you only had to win one game or you only had to win two games to win it all. Now we're talking about three or four. That's going to be tough. And TCU's going to have to build a deep roster under Sonny Dykes that is talented across the board 
and that can really hold up up front on the offensive and defensive line if they want to be in the conversation with some of the top teams in the country. So that starts this year. I mean, we'll have to see if they can take a step forward this upcoming season um, and be a part of, you know, the the power brokers and, and that structure moving forward. I saw Ari Wasserman from The Athletic. He was talking about – he was doing a podcast. I think it's called Until Saturday. And he was discussing Jed Fit or uh, Jed Fitch leaving for um, leaving Arizona and going to Washington. He took the job at Washington after Kalen DeBoer left Washington and went to Alabama. And he was like, "Hey, if you're an Arizona fan, you got to feel pretty gutted." He actually said, "What's the point of being an Arizona fan?" Which he said it was taken out of context, but it kind of speaks to the the power structure we're seeing right now where it does feel like the Big Ten and the SEC are going to take a lot of the resources, and how does the Big 12 survive moving forward? And not survive as a conference, but just survive in the fact of being a title contender in football. It's going to be a tough thing to do. And Frogs are going to be innovative. Other teams are going to be innovative. They're going to have to find ways to, you know, win on the margins and be efficient and effective and develop players at, uh, a really good pace to compete with some of the best teams in the country. When we come back, tough loss for TC basketball last night. We'll talk about that and more next. It's Locked On Horn Frog. It's your team every day. When we talk about recruiting talent or finding people for your small business, LinkedIn Jobs is the place to go. LinkedIn is the place to go. If people need to find work, so you're able to cast a wide net and find the talent that you need for your business. At the start of the new year, every small business is asking themselves the same question, what can I do to take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why they've created tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It's easy when you have that many qualified candidates. 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. It's why they rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. linkedin.com slash college. TCU basketball fell to Cincinnati last night. Final score was 81-77. to Lost that game in overtime. And I, I tweeted this out last night. I was like, this was a... I said a horrible loss. It was a horrible loss. And Cincinnati's not a bad team. They're ranked 33rd net rating, which is uh, a metric that the NCAA came up with, and it's essentially um, just power rankings that rank teams according to, to different numbers. Cincinnati's not a bad team, okay? They're good. They're at home. It's a tough place to play. There's a good environment there. So in a vacuum, losing to Cincy is not a bad thing. But the missed opportunities down the stretch just killed TCU. And it was a chance to close out a game on the road, get to three and one in conference play, and give yourself some real advantages as you continue down through Big 12 conference play. And they just could not find a way to close that ball game out and win the game. And going into the ball game, my big concern was like, okay, you're coming off two great wins at home. 
this feels like a trap game. This feels like a moment where you're going to have an emotional letdown because you're going on the road. It's not, I mean, quick turnaround. Like it's, it's a Tuesday night after a Saturday game. That's pretty typical in college football. They know how to handle that. But at the same time, didn't have a ton of time to prepare. Didn't have a lot of time to game plan. You're just kind of getting thrown into the mix on the road. That can be a tough deal. So I was worried about them coming out flat and not playing well to start the ball game. But they answered the bell in that regard. They got off to a great start. They were shooting the lights out. They were making things happen. And they led 26 to 16 about midway through the first half and looked fantastic. And you're like, all right, let's go. Like, let's do this thing. And slowly they went on about a five-minute scoring drought after that, after taking that 10-point lead. And slowly Cincinnati started cutting into the lead. Now, Frogs were still playing pretty good defense, staying connected, playing with energy, rebounding. So they were able to stay – they were able to keep the lead. But by halftime, it was a one-point game. They're only up 33-32. So Cincinnati pretty pretty much salted away that whole lead just to start the ball game. But Frogs started out well in the second half. Every time Cincinnati would make a run where they would close the gap or take a slight lead, TCU answered. They had a seven-point advantage with about nine minutes left. Felt pretty good. They were up 64-60 to 60 with 3.56 left in the game. Micah Peavy went to the free throw line, had a chance to put him up either five or six. He misses the free throws. Cincinnati comes down. They eventually score. TCU just missed opportunity after opportunity. Could not score down the stretch in that basketball game. And one thing I didn't like, they were doing a lot of dribbling at the top of the key, not getting into their action until, you know, 12 to 10 seconds left on the shot clock. And I I don't think this team, like their guards, Nel, Nelson and Anderson are good players. And Trey, Trey Tennyson had an outstanding game last night. But they're all guys that I feel like thrive more within the rhythm of the offense where there's ball movement. These are not great isolation scores, in my opinion. It's not like Mike Miles and Damian Ball, who are really good at okay, give me a give me a ball screen, let me go to work, let me go to the go to the rim, or you know, take a step back jumper. I feel like their best isolation player is Emmanuel Miller. I like when they clear it out and get him the ball on the right side of the floor in the high post and let him go to work. But they're just not a team that I think thrives in those types of environments. They need to move the ball. They need to find a way to whip it around the perimeter, you know, go through their dribble handoff motion, dump it inside, see what's working, see what's not. And instead they were just trying to take time off the clock, trying to limit Cincinnati possessions. And I feel like that threw them out of the rhythm of their offense. They were also, and Steven Johnson had this note after the game, they were two of eight down the stretch from the free throw line, which is just an absolute killer. And it's, I don't know why it, it's been a hallmark of Jamie Dixon's teams as long as he's been here. They just do not shoot the ball well from the line. And one one problem they have, and I love these guys. I, I mean, Micah Peavy's a great player. He brings a ton to the table. Outstanding defender. Does a lot of great things. Ernest Uday, I think he had probably his best game of the season. Good energy. Was rebounding the basketball last night was an effective score when called upon, 11 points, 5 of 8 shooting, best offensive night of his time at TCU. Neither of those guys are good free throw shooters. And it's just a killer late in these games when they get fouled. You know, Peavy missed some key free throws down the stretch. Ernest 
after Micah ran into, you know, somebody on a rebound and a Cincinnati player had a chance to end the game on a couple free throws. They missed both. Uday's fighting for the rebound. He gets fouled 90 feet from the hoop. Looks like you're about to get bailed out on the road. You didn't play well down the stretch, but you catch a break. There's a foul call on the rebound. All you got to do is hit. There's three seconds left. If you hit both free throws, you feel really good. But even if you only hit one, you got a great chance to walk out of there and win the ball game. He misses the front end, front end of a one-and-one. One. Ball game goes to overtime. It's just it's just a killer, man. You got to make free throws down the stretch. And they're just not great at that. And I don't know how that's going to get better. We're, we're pretty deep into the season here. And both these guys have been bad free throw shooters throughout their career. So it's it's just a killer when you can't when you can't make those free throws and make those opportunities. Also had a lot of missed layups. Just didn't execute well on offense down the stretch. And then lo and behold, in overtime, Frogs are up one. About three minutes left in OT. They get the ball back. They get a stop. They go down the floor. And there's a, a ball that was stolen by Cincinnati. There's a fight for the basketball. Micah Peavy's trying to, you know, get a tie up or wrestle the ball back. And the Cincinnati player elbows Micah in the face. Like, clearly elbows him in the face. And he's bleeding. And they go to the monitor. And it's like, man, this is poetic justice. Because Ernest Uday gets called for elbowing Hunter Dickinson in the face. Gets called for a flagrant one on a play that just looked totally like incidental contact. They called it by the letter of the law. They said it was a flagrant one. Kansas gets two free throws. They get the ball back. And that, I mean, that basically cost TCU the ball game. Well, Micah gets elbowed in the face. Yeah, it looked like an accident, but it happened. It was clear what happened. Call that flagrant one. Give TCU two free throws. Give them the ball back. They could have the ball back with either a two or a three-point lead, and then they could kind of salt that game away. They called incidental contact and called it a jump ball, and the possession arrow went to Cincinnati. Who did we piss off at the Big 12 officiating office? Like, I, I get it. I get that it was accidental contact. But if you're going to enforce the rule like you did at Allen Fieldhouse a couple weeks ago, then you call that a flagrant one. It's not a flagrant two because it's not intentional. It doesn't mean the player gets ejected, but he clearly elbowed Micah in the face. And no, it wasn't intentional, but it happened. It wasn't necessary contact. Call the flagrant one. Somebody mentioned this last night, and I don't remember who it was, so I'm sorry I can't give them, give them credit. But they were like, it's almost like the Big 12 refs got together after that incident at KU. And they and they said, okay, we got we to gotta tweak this interpretation of the rule because we really host TCU in that scenario. And then the next time that it comes up, they host TCU again just in a different way. It's just ludicrous. If that was not a flagrant one last night, then you should have swallowed the whistle in that game against Kansas. But I'm not blaming the rest for yesterday because TCU had plenty of opportunities and they just couldn't close out the game. They couldn't get it done. And it, it frustrates me because, yes, I said it, Cincinnati is a good team. This is not the end of the world. I'm not jumping off the deep end. This doesn't mean that TCU can't be a tournament team, that they can't make a deep run. But there was a fleeting moment after that Houston win. You beat Oklahoma at home. You beat Houston at home. And I felt like, all right, we're turning the corner. This is a group that could contend for a Big 12 title. 
But I said yesterday, if you're going to be a team that contends for Big 12 titles, you have to win games like this. You have to go on the road against a middle-of-the-pack team like Cincinnati. And, yes, it's tough. It's tough to win on the road. It's tough to win Big 12 games. It's a monster of a conference. We can throw out all the cliches. There are truth to cliches. There's a morsel of truth there. It's difficult to win these ball games. It's not easy. But if you are a real deal title contender, these are the types of games that you salt away and you win. You didn't play your best basketball, but you find a way to win on the road in those crunch time moments, and they couldn't do it. And it's just frustrating to me. Now, you can't do anything about it now. You got to bounce back and try to beat Iowa State, who's also really good. And they're coming off a bad loss to BYU. Or not a bad loss, and BYU is a good team. A bad loss in the fact that it wasn't a super competitive game. Bottom line, you got to regroup and go win the ball game. But I thought last night was a, a kind of a man, let's grow up type of moment, and they just couldn't quite answer the bell. Effort was great, intensity was great, just execution was lacking those final minutes. And you might say, well, Stephen, you know, Kansas lost to UCF on the road. Baylor lost last night to Kansas State. Even though I don't know if Kansas State's a middle of the pack team, Drum Tang has that group rolling. They might be one of the best teams in the Big 12. Totally right. Yes. Again, tough to win on the road in the Big 12. But, I mean, just to be frank about it, I trust Kansas and Baylor more than I trust TCU because they've been at the top of this conference for a long time and the Frogs have kind of lived in the middle of the pack. And that's not the end of the world. If you go 500 in Big 12 play, you're still talking about being a tournament team. You still have a chance to make a run. But if this team wants to take the next step and be at the top half of the league and have a higher seed and a better matchup and a better opportunity to get to the Sweet 16, then those are the types of games they're going to have to figure out how to win. And, man, it just bothered me that they couldn't do it last night. But we got to regroup and get ready for Saturday. We'll wrap things up when we come back. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. FanDuel, you guys know this deal if you've listened to the show, but take advantage of it. FanDuel.com slash locked on. One $5 bet gets you $150 in bonus bets. One $5 bet, $150 in bonus bets. You can uh, do prop bets, parlays, just traditional bet against the spread, bet on the money line. FanDuel.com slash locked on. They also have an app that is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel, official betting partner of the NFL and proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. Also want to talk about our friends at Jace Medical. You don't want to be caught unprepared in emergency. Have a Jace case available. They have five life-saving antibiotics in the Jace case. They, you can talk to a board-certified physician if you have questions about it. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your purchase. Get yours at jacemedical.com. Don't be caught up in supply chain issues. If there's you know, a natural disaster in the area, if suddenly you find yourself stuck at home and you need help, the Jace case can do it for you. JaceMedical.com. Use that promo code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D for $20 off your first purchase. One note about TC women's basketball. And unfortunately, the bad news continues for the Lady Frogs. Jaden Owens starting point guard out for the year with a knee injury. She went down against Houston that loss in the second half, and it looked bad. I hate it for her. Um, she was at UCLA. She was at Baylor. Now she's at TCU. Last ride for her, last chance to come play college basketball, and season comes to an end with a season-ending knee injury. And, man, I I like what Mark Campbell's doing, but this year is just taking such a turn. You know, they won that first conference game against BYU, remained undefeated, and since then they've lost – 
uh, three in a row, and they play Kansas State tonight, which is a highly ranked team that's just coming off a win against Texas. So that's going to be a tough ball game. But uh, prayers up for Jaden Owens. I know she was excited about this year and wanted to, you know, kind of change the culture, change the environment at TCU. And unfortunately, her season comes to an end with an injury. Um, some audience reaction from yesterday's show. DW Cardwell said, great episode, Stephen. Thanks and go Frogs. Thank you, DW. I appreciate you always listening. Appreciate your help. And uh, thank you for tuning into the show whenever it is and however it is you do. Tanner McKinney wants to know who I think will be the starters on offense and defense. I'll have to do a show about that at some point. I'll, in all honesty, have to do some more research. Um, yesterday I was just talking about the highest impact transfers, which I think is going to be Eric McAllister, the wide receiver from Boise State. Uh, I feel like he's going to have a big year for TCU. We'll be back tomorrow. It's a Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. Thanks for listening to the show. We're free and available wherever it is you get your podcast.